It's so good to see everyone here today, and uh, we're just so thankful we can gather in this place. I want to welcome you here to our service. Uh, welcome all those that may be watching online. So glad that y'all could join us as well. And I just want to say a quick thank you for those who are willing to go serve in our extended session. And that's just a reminder, we do have a need in that ministry every Sunday morning. If you're willing to stay one Sunday a month to work with uh, age one through pre-K, um, that would be wonderful, and you can still contact the church office if you would like to serve. But if you are visiting with us today, we encourage you to please stop by our guest table located in our lobby. And um, if you have a chance, please stop by there and get one of our guest um, bags. You can also fill out a card there, or you can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin and drop that in the offering plates that are back there. We would love to have a record of your visit. But right now, I'm going to ask you to stand, and as you stand, I want to read from Psalm 92. And I don't know what your mindset is right now, if you need to kind of shift gears and prepare your heart for worship, but just listen to Psalm 92. It says this, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. Verse 4 says, You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O Lord, what great works you do. And I hope that you can sing with that thought in mind, how good God has been to you. And just let that overflow from your heart and let's sing praises to him this morning.
loves us first, doesn't he? I'm so thankful to be able to be here and worship and not be under attack. Aren't you this morning? Uh, I want you to join me in prayer and come down this morning and help us. We need to pray as a church and pray for the Christians and those who are suffering in the Ukraine. Also, we want to pray for those in our church family. Uh, I want to just praise the Lord that Sandra's home. Let's just praise him for that. You want to do that? Uh, Sandra came home this week. God is faithful and he hears our prayers. I want to remember Junior Wood this morning and uh, Teresa Skinner and her family and Linda Jordan and her family. I want you to come and pray for these folks that I mentioned. And you've got somebody on your heart. I want you to come and join me in prayer this morning. You come. Lord, I need you. pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you're sovereign and you're in control of all things. And Father, when we come before you, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the cleansing, Lord, that you give us every day. Undeserving as we are, your graces, your grace and your mercy is renewed every morning. And we just want to stop and thank you for that today. Father, I want to thank you that Sandra's home. I want to thank you, God, that you've answered prayer and, Lord, that you're helping her to, to get better every day. And I pray you continue to bless her in health and bless her family. And, Father, I want to pray for Junior Wood this morning. You'd be with him and what he's facing in life. Be with him and Anita. Father, I pray that you'd be with Teresa Skinner and her family this morning. Loss of her mother, I pray you'd comfort them. And Linda Jordan, I pray you'd bless her and her family and the needs. And Father, we want to pray for all those who are suffering in the country of Ukraine. Lord, the Christians that are, Lord, that are being persecuted there and those who are being had to flee their own homeland because of evil. Lord, many Christian organizations are there reaching out. And Lord, now they're having to leave because of the oppression of evil. And Father, we pray you'd be with those who are suffering this morning, that you would protect them and overlook their lives. And God, that you'd just stand with them and be with them and make a way of escape for them. And Father, we pray that you'd be with them this morning. And Father, I pray this morning you'd bless this time of worship. I pray you'd bless the Tedder family this morning as we pour out into their lives love. I pray you'd meet their needs and bless them this morning. Thank you for loving us this morning. Thank you for giving us a church home and a church family. Thank you for loving us and giving us yourself that we might know you and walk with you. Bless this day and may we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. What a blessing. Uh, just a couple things, if you will, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 22. We're going to look at the last uh, verses of Revelation chapter 22 here in just a moment. 
I just want to remind you that at the end of the service, we'll ask our visitors to leave if you'd like to. We have a business meeting, and the business meeting will be very, very brief. Um, and as you leave, if you want to participate in the barbecue for the Tedders, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. For all of us, we're going to go down the hallway. You're going to go into the foyer, take a left, and go through the takeout area. And they'll have a, a basket there for you to put money in. Some of you gave through your offering this morning. We want to thank you for that. Uh, that's typically how I give to, to uh, fundraisers like this. And then you can get your food and then just go out the back and then go around or come back through the lobby area, whatever you need to do. But just want to remind you of those things as soon as the service is over. Uh, those two things will be available to you. So if you have your Bibles in Revelation chapter 22, stand with me. We're going to read verses 6 through 21. I do not have time to go through every verse. This is such a great ending to the Bible. And this is God's final invitation. Think about that for a moment. God writes a book, puts all that he puts into uh, the book of Revelation, and all throughout the book of Revelation, he gives an invitation. Come, come, come. Repent, repent. All through the great tribulation, if that's your eschatology, which is mine, I'm open to change though. All right, it's, it's repent. You have an opportunity to repent. During that time, it said the people cursed God and would not repent. We're going to see the results of that here in verse 11. Okay? What, what the Holy Spirit would say to you today through His Word, through the singing, through prayer time, through my preaching is come today. Think about the enormity of this moment. This could be your final invitation today. Think about that. Have you ever thought about that for some of us? Maybe your final invitation today. And I would encourage you to come. Notice what verse 6 says. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And you can't get any better than that. If God says you better believe it, then you better believe it. That's what he's saying here. And the Lord God of the, and the, Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And if you'll remember when we preached, uh, probably I preached about two months ago, we talked about God's timetable and hours. Peter said to God, a thousand years like a day. So when he says come shortly, I hadn't been that long at God's timetable. Okay? These things must shortly come, take, shortly take place. And then verse 7, these are Jesus' words, behold, I'm coming quickly. Look at the word quickly. Very interesting Greek word that, that Jesus uses. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. It's almost like he yelled at John. Don't do that. Don't do, that's blasphemy, John. You worship nobody but Jesus. And then he said this, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He, he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Then Jesus' words again, and behold, I am coming quickly. There he says it again. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Christians, look at me. Everyone according to his work. That means God has something for you to do. God's not asking you to do what I do. God's not asking me to do what you are doing right now. But God has something for you to do. And Jesus says, when I come, my reward is with me. And then he kind of signifies who he is. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Now notice that. When you obey God, God says you're happy and blessed, and God is happy and blessed as well. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices lying. All he's saying is this, those who would not heed God's final invitation. And basically, if you'll notice that where he says dogs, sorcerers, that's who they are throughout eternity. eternity. Then verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. In the churches, I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. And then look at verse 20. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Fathers, we come to your prayer. We thank you for your word. Father, um, 
this is your heart that people come to know you. But I'm so thankful for the many opportunities I had to hear the gospel. Lord, many times I said no, but Lord, you showed grace and you were long-suffering. And Lord, I want to thank you for saving my soul. Lord, may that be the testimony of someone in here this morning. Maybe someone watching online today or maybe later this week or even a month from now. Father, this is your word. And we have been told not to seal it up, but to proclaim it. And Lord, that's what our goal is this morning. And I pray that you'd bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to notice on the screen what this is. If you're in your 40s or 50s, you may know. And if anybody can guess this, free lunch today at Chick-fil-A's on me. Okay? So some of y'all get that in just a minute. Anybody know what that is? An Atari. Right. Think about this for a moment. Nolan Bushnell, he had this idea that you could play interactive games on a TV-type monitor. And he tinkered around in 1972, and he founded a company called Atari. Now, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, I always picked out friends that had more than me. That meant you had food, a TV with cable, and an Atari. Right? Amen? You had an Atari. I was at your house. All right? So you had an Atari. And he put together this first video game. It was called Pong. Remember Pong? How many of you played Pong? Look, look around at all these old people. You played Pong. Now, see, you didn't have Pong 80 edition. You didn't have Pong 81. You didn't have Pong 82. You had Pong forever. You had Pong for like 15 years, right? You still have Pong, okay, because Pong is Pong. You can't improve on Pong because Pong is what it is. And then he said, let's get this Atari into homes. An amazing thought. The Atari 2600 was built and sent out everywhere. You didn't have like Atari 2700. Atari, you just had Atari forever, right? You just had an Atari. And if you had an Atari, that was like a status symbol in my days, okay? If you had an Atari, Jamie still found out about it, and I said, you want to be my friend? <laughs> I'll come over and hang out with you. But think about it. In the meantime, he became acquainted with a 20-year-old who was also tinkering around with electronics in the Bay Area. His name was Steve Jobs. And Steve Wozniak, they became friends. And they started tinkering around with this idea, hey, maybe we can, we can uh, get this computer like you did your Atari, get it into homes. Then they parted ways because Bushnell said, that's just a crazy idea. Then Jobs, whenever he kind of got his end worked out, he said this. He said, he come back to Bushnell and he said this. He said, I'd like you to be part owner in this company. As a matter of fact, you, uh, Steve Wozniak and myself, will go in together and you can have a third ownership in Apple computers. This was back way back in the 70s and 80s. You know what he told them? Now get this. What an invitation, right? He said, no, $50,000. He said, I got Atari, man. I got Atari. Who are you? You got Apple. When they asked him about it, he said this. He said, Steve asked me if I'd put $50,000 in, and he would give me a third of the company. He said, I was so smart. I said, no. It's kind of fun to think about it when I'm not crying because <laughs> Apple's worth about a trillion dollars now. Man, what an opportunity. Isn't life full of missed opportunities, though? Think about this. Over and over and over again, God has given you opportunities. If you're lost today, you're here today for a purpose. You're not here by happenstance. You're just not. God doesn't work that way. He's sovereign over all things, and you're here for a reason. God wants to give you an opportunity to be saved. And if you're a Christian today, think about all the opportunities God has given you to serve. Think about it. So when I read that verse where Jesus says, my, I'm coming back and my reward is with me, that hits me hard. Because I'm born again Christian. I'll give an account of all my, all my time, talent, and treasure. All those things, I'll give an account of it. And i got opportunity now to do those things, right? I have an opportunity now to be generous. I have an opportunity now to serve. I have an opportunity now to use my time for God's glory. I have an opportunity now, but there's going to come a day when I don't have that opportunity. And Jesus says, I am coming quickly. There's four things I want to mention to you today. The first one is this. He is coming quickly. Notice verse 7 on the screen. He says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. Look at the word quickly. It's an interesting Greek word. It's from the Greek word, which is taku, which is where we get the word tachometer. It means I am coming speedily. I am coming hastily. I am coming quickly. Think about this. Of all the promises Jesus could have left at the end of the book of Revelation, he could have said this, I'll see you through your suffering, because they were suffering. I'll carry your burdens. I'll enable your obedience. I'll delight in your worship. But no, you know what he says? I am coming quickly. The word literally means I'm on my way is almost what it means. 
Which means in God's mind, there's nothing else to happen before Jesus comes back. Absolutely nothing. There's no prophecy that needs to be filled. Jesus could come back at any time. Six times in the book of Revelation, this is stated. Six times. Twice it's a warning in chapter 2, verses 5 and verse 16, when he's talking to churches. And Jesus said this, If you don't do right, I'll take your lampstand away. And guess what he did? Those churches aren't there anymore. Go to that part of the world. They're not there anymore. They're gone. Jesus has the right to do what he wants to. He says, I'm walking in the midst of your church, and I'm going to take your lampstand, and guess what? He did. Then four times in the book of Revelation, it's a source of blessing. I am coming back. It's a promise of blessing in chapter 22. You have it in chapter 3, verse 11. You have it three times in this chapter. People in the New Testament believe that Jesus could come back at any time. All the Think about these, these verses. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said this to the church at Corinth. Now you have every spiritual gift you need. Now think about this. He said every spiritual gift at, at this church you have it. Think about the, the amazing gifts that God gave the church at Corinth. What a pagan society. He saved these people out of this pagan society. He starts a church. We don't know how big it was. It was probably pretty small. But he says, I blessed you with every spiritual gift. Then he goes on to say this. As you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was 2,000 years ago. Eagerly wait, which means they thought Jesus could come back at any time. And then Paul's writing to the church at Corinth at the end of that letter. Notice on the screen. Notice how he uses Greek words and then he uses the Aramaic word at the end. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. And then he says, Maranatha, which means in, in the Aramaic, it means Lord Jesus, come. On a number of occasions, the Apostle Paul expressed the idea that he might live until Jesus returned. In Philippians 3.20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said this to the church at Thessalonica, You turn to God from idols to serve a true and living God. What a tremendous compliment he gives this church. He said, to the church of Thessalonica, you turn from idols to the true and living God and you're serving Him. And then he says this, from which you also, I'm sorry, and to wait for His Son from heaven. The early church was filled with anticipation that Jesus could come at any moment. In light of that, what do we do? Notice verse 7. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is He who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Then in verse 14, he says, Blessed are those who have done his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. In light of Jesus' coming, we should obey God. We should obey his commands. We should obey God's spirit in our life. Let me ask you a question. What is God's will for your life? Are you fulfilling God's will for your life? In light of his return, we should. The second thing we should do is worship God. Look at verses 8 and 9. Now I, John, when I saw and heard these things, when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Look at that word for worship. It's the only, really the word worship means that you bow down and you kiss toward. It's where we get the idea of blowing kisses. And what John did was, when he saw all these marvelous things in the book of Revelation, he just fell down at the angel's feet and he started blowing kisses toward him. And then the angel says this. Then he said in verse 9, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. Your, what the angel says, I'm no better than you. I'm just doing what God's asked me to do. And your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Blow kisses toward God. When Daniel uh, revealed the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar at the time was the richest man in the world. God gave him a dream, and it just kept him up at night. He got all the wise men together and he said, if you don't interpret this dream, I'll kill y'all. Well, they couldn't do it. It's impossible. And they said, we know this guy. His name's Daniel. He, he worshiped the God of the, Israel. And he says, bring him here. Then Daniel interpreted the dream for the richest man on the planet at the time, the most powerful man. You know what, the, what Nebuchadnezzar did for Daniel? The Bible says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar was blowing kisses toward Daniel. So in the light of the Lord's soon return, you should worship the Lord. The angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. And then the, the, the next thing we should do is proclaim God's word. Notice verse 10. 
Verse 10 says this, And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. John is effectively given the opposite command that Daniel received many, many years before, where God said to Daniel, when he showed him all this great vision that was, that was to come, in Daniel 8, he said, Keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Later again, Daniel was told by God in Daniel 12, Conceal the words and seal up the book until the end of time. And then in verse 10, what the angel says to John is, The time is near. Share the word. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy. You must share God's word. And as that word is shared, as the gospel is shared, it produces two types of people. And don't show the verse yet, but it's in verse 11. Two types of people respond to the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Notice this verse on the screen. In other words, the response of the people and the pro to the proclamation of the gospel truth will fix their eternity. One, I like what John MacArthur said, the results of the exposition of God's word will cause some hearts to be softened in belief and others to become hardened in unbelief. Isn't it amazing how two people can hear the same message and one person be born again and the other person leave with nothing happening to them? I was in a class one time, and the guy was preaching on uh, the doctrine of soteriology, of salvation. He says, why does one man get saved and another man doesn't? He shared the story of twins in his church. He said, preacher was preaching. They both heard the same message. One guy's taking notes, becomes born again. The other guy just leaves laughing and becomes a, a pagan for the rest of his life. Isn't that amazing? How the same message can be preached to the same group of people and have two different responses. What John is saying in verse 11 is those, those responses are fixed for eternity. Notice what Paul says. He, he faced this everywhere he went. To the one, talking about the gospel being preached, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Look at that word aroma. Isn't that an interesting word? Are there things that you love to smell? Like Yankee candle? I'll smell every candle in there. I've never had a bad candle, have you? I mean, I'll just walk by, I'll go into Yankee Candles and just start smelling. Every candle. I'll go to TJ Maxx, smell their candles. They're from wherever. You know, just smell them. And then you have, you know, that's, to me, that's life. When, when, when I heard the gospel for the first time, even though I was lost, I was like, that's it. That's it. I was 20 years old. Didn't respond that day, but I knew, I knew for a fact. From that moment on, my life was under conviction from that moment on. Because to me, that was like, that is life. That's exactly... That is exactly what I need. The night I prayed to receive Christ, I said this. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. God, God is my witness. And to others, when I preach, you know what it is? It stinks. Like cooked cabbage. You smell that stuff? How do y'all eat that? Ah, you know, when we went to Haiti, they had this, this cooking grass. Is basically what they were cooking. You go in this home, and I remember Randy, Randy uh, Smith said, Jamie, what does that smell like? It smells like cabbage. I'm leaving. <laughs> so I said, I'm not eating that stuff. See, to some people, when you preach, it's the most wonderful thing, and then the other pe people, they're never going to respond to it. Isn't that amazing? They're never going to respond to it. You're never responsible for the results, just sharing the gospel. People walked away from Jesus. You know what Jesus said? If you go into this town and they won't accept you, just kick the dust off your feet. Be nice about it. Speak the truth in love, but just leave. Some people are never going to get saved. They're just not. And then some people, it's the aroma of life. It's, it's the thing that just gives them something. It just gives them something that, that just, they just got to have it. As a matter of fact, Paul said to the church at Corinth, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've been told a few times where to go, and it was not heaven or Vashti, all right? And then I've heard people say this with tears in their eyes, thank you for sharing the gospel with me, and my life has been changed. Is it not worth it to share the gospel? Listen, for some people, it's going to be foolishness. It's going to, to them, it's just going to be a Rome that leads to death, and to others, it's just going to be life-giving. We don't know, do we? That's why we share. So he's coming quickly. The second thing is this, and you'd better listen to this preacher. He has a deadline. Look at verse 11. This is your eternal state fixed. He is unjust. Let him be unjust still. That means for eternity. He who is filthy, he's going to be filthy for eternity. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. John MacArthur put it this way, and what it is saying is 
If you're wrong in this life, you're more wrong in eternity, where there is no good influence. If you're filthy in this life, you're going to be way more filthy in eternity. If you're righteous in this life, you're going to be more righteous in the next. If you're holy here, you'll be more holy there. You maintain your response into an eternal destiny. When the sinner refuses the message, there is no cure for his wrong. There is no remedy for his filthiness. He will continue in it and even be more evil and more filthy. Once the Lord returns or once that person dies, his character is fixed forever in hell where wrong and filth are perfected. If the warnings of this book are not sufficient to move men to repent, let them remain in their unrepentant sin. God's Spirit will not always strive with man. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's Spirit will not always strive with man. The Old Testament prophet said this about Ephraim. Ephraim is joined to idols, comma, leave him alone. Listen to what Jesus said about the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel, the religious leaders. He said, they are blind leaders of the blind, let, let them alone, they are fixed in their blindness. Let me repeat that again. They are blind leaders of the blind. Jesus says this, let them alone, they are fixed in their blindness. In Romans chapter 1, where, where Paul says that there's enough God in creation, so much, there's so much God in creation that every person on the planet is without excuse. And he says some people suppress that truth, they suppress it in unrighteousness because they love their sin. And then what God says is this, some people have such wrong desires that what I'm going to do is give them over to a reprobate mind. He says, I'm just going to give them over to it. You can fully be all that reprobate stuff that you do. We see that in society today. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Why? Because so many people reject over and over and over again the gospel message. Reject God's warnings and you fix your eternal destiny. Respond to His warnings and you set your eternal destiny in glory. Whatever you are in this life, you'll be more of it in eternity. It'll either be worse or it'll be more glory. For some of us, His deadline is today. Repent today. Place your faith in Jesus today. The third thing is this, and we've talked about this before, but His reward is with Him. Notice what the verse on the screen says. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone, everyone, according to their work. Every one of us according to their work. John 2, 8, Jesus says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we work for, but that we may receive a, a full reward. Our eternal reward is based on our service. Does your life, service, time, and money as of right now count for eternity? Because Jesus will be our judge. What's going to be judged? Our spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Paul says to the church at Corinth what he would say to East Hazel, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Which means every person here has been gifted. All these gifts are miraculously bestowed by Jesus just for you. You have a divine calling and mandate to use your gift. You'll be judged on how you use it or don't use it. Daniel Webster, who wrote Webster's Dictionary, said this, The greatest thought that has ever entered my mind is that one day I'll stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. Isn't that amazing? The greatest thought that has ever come to my mind is that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account of every word I've said. Think about that. Think about it. Think about your generosity. Billy Graham said this, Give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I'll tell you whether or not he's a born-again Christian or not. Jesus said this, to lay up treasures in heaven. Lay them up. James, the Lord's brother, says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like, flour, like fire. You have reaped, heaped up treasure in the last days. And what, literally what James was saying is this, you have so much gold and silver, they're corroded. You have so, much, so many garments that the moth are eating them. You've piled up all this stuff. You've not been generous. And that's going to be a, a, a word against you on the day of judgment. And think about our time, the time that we have. Think about this. Less than 20% of all Americans attend church on a regular basis. Isn't that amazing? Less than 20% of all Americans attend church on a regular basis. Do you know what a regular basis is now? One Sunday per month. Isn't that amazing? 
that, that our time, with all the time that we have, and I know work schedules are so much different now. When, when I first started working, you went in at 6 and you got off at 3.30, and that's what everybody did. It's not the same way now, is it? People didn't work on Sundays much when I, when I was in the, in the 80s. They just didn't. But now work schedules are different, aren't they? I'm talking about the time that you have. 20% of Americans go to church on a regular basis, and that regular basis is one Sunday a month. Isn't that, isn't that a sad state of the church in America? Isn't that amazing that, that all the time that God has given us, that we can spend one hour with our family in church? Listen to this, dads. I just want to share this with you about time. If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper after they've left your house. Now let me repeat that again. If a father does not, does not go to church, that means you're not responsible for it. I'm not talking about your wife begging you to go to church and getting up and dragging you to church. You are the man and you lead the family to the church. If a father does not do that, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly to church, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults for the rest of their lives. When a man is born again, 93% of the time, the entire family becomes Christians. Joshua, at the end of his reign, not reign, but at the end of his ministry, after he, they had went through the promised land, you know, he succeeded Moses. He went out before all the people and he said, I'm going to say a word to you and this is it. You can serve their gods. You can serve the gods across the river. Or you can serve the one true God. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Do what you want to. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Look at this, ver uh, this, this quote by Paul Washer. I love what he says. He says, you're a steward of every moment, of every talent, of every gift, of every resource that God has given you. Choose wisely today what you do. Now, who is our great judge? Notice what the Bible says in verse 13. I am the Alpha and Omega. What does that mean? This can only be applied to a non-created, eternally existing God. And what is applied to God, Jesus applies to himself. One scholar says these titles alone are convincing declarations that Jesus Christ literally claimed to be the to be by divine nature equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is literally adopting and claiming divine titles. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of 300 Old Testament prophecies, types, and illustrations. He goes on over here to say, I am the root and descendant of David. Christ is saying this, I am the origin of the Davidic line. I am also a descendant of the same royal line. How can someone be both ancestor of David, an ancestor of David, and a descendant of David? Jesus stood before the Jews and he says, Before Abraham was, I am. He is well qualified to judge you and me. It will be an absolute, eternal, just, correct judgment of your life. He's coming quickly. He has a deadline. His reward is with him. And then the final thing is this, and we'll close with this. Everyone is welcome. God's invitation is to everyone. One of the greatest words in the Bible is the word come. Notice what he says. The spirit and bride say, come, that's us. Two different groups here. It's like the church is saying, Jesus, come. You wonder what the church in Ukraine is saying right now. Come back, wouldn't you? I would. Wonder what the church in Africa, some of the parts of Africa is saying. Come back. Wonder what the church in the Middle East is saying, where so much persecution is going on. We don't hear about that much. Come back. Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears, that's us, come. Let him who thirsts come. Then Jesus says, no, i got an invitation for you. If you're thirsty, come. 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 I want you to stand with me. If you will, I'm going to ask your musicians to come. Jesus made this statement in John 7, 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come. Jesus says in Revelation 22, 7, if you are thirsty, come. God is coming back, Christian, are you ready? To all the dads here, are there changes you need to make in your life? Make them now. 
Husbands, look at me. Are there any changes you need to make in your marriage? As far as you're concerned, make them now. Mothers, are there any changes in your life you need to make? Make them now. When He comes, He comes. If you're a wife, are there any changes you need to make? Make them now. Teenagers, look at me. Any changes you need to make? Any changes you need to make in your life, make them now. He's coming quickly. Are you ready? He, is, he has a deadline. And I would say this. Are you born again? He has a deadline. His reward is with him. Are you serving Christ? And then the final thought is this. is You are invited. If anyone is thirsty, let him come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Fathers, I come to you in prayer. I want to thank you for this time. This is your time and these are your people. God, you're sovereign. Only you can save. And Father, I pray that you would save for your honor and for your glory. If there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in Christ, this altar is open to you today. And as Sharon leads us in this song, I'd encourage you to respond. Thank you very much. if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in